This is Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine, and I'm John Wiener. Black History Month has just ended. Usually it's a celebration, but this February we had the biggest attack ever on black history. Now historians and other black studies scholars are fighting back. For comment and analysis, we turn to Kimberly Crenshaw. She teaches law at Columbia and UCLA. She created the concept of intersectionality, which is now banned in Florida and by the college board. And she's probably the most prominent figure associated with critical race theory. That's what the New Yorker says. It's also banned in Florida. And she co-founded the African-American Policy Forum, now one of the country's leading social justice think tanks. Everybody wants to talk to her these days, the New York Times, MSNBC, the Washington Post. So it's a special pleasure to say, Kim Crenshaw, welcome back. So happy to be back, John. Thanks for having me. Well, your work, along with Michelle Alexander, Alice Walker, Robin Kelly, and Bell Hooks, has been targeted by Ron DeSantis and his allies in Florida. But that wasn't the worst part of Black History Month. The worst part came when the college board went along with everything Ron DeSantis wanted to eliminate from the new advanced placement curriculum in African American studies. In fact, intersectionality is at the top of the list of Florida's official concerns, as they call them, the ideas they want banned. Originally, the College Board denied that politics had played any part in their dropping intersectionality from the curriculum. But recently, a College Board spokesperson offered a very different explanation of what happened. He said that intersectionality had been deleted because the term had been, quote, compromised by disingenuous voices and was thus no longer, in his words, effective because it had been, quote, drained of its meaning and filled up with political rhetoric, close quote. What's your response to the statement that attacks from the right on intersectionality have left the concept drained of meaning? My own response and those of thousands of people who use these ideas was, well, drained of meaning by whom and, and for whom. I, it certainly still has meaning to me. <laughs> I write about uh, intersectional issues all the time. I organize around intersectional uh, needs uh, all the time, and so do people all over the world. So effectively, what the College Board seemed to be saying is that because some people have issues with intersectionality, some people have decided that they want to attack it, um, that therefore uh, it no longer is a viable, legitimate uh, topic for classroom instruction. And that's basically just turning over to the right wing, the capacity for them to decide what kind of concepts uh, can le be legitimately taught and what kind can. And I, I just can't see us taking that without uh, response. The idea of intersectionality is not really anything new. It arose in the late 80s when some of our friends were debating whether race or class was more important. You suggested that gender was important, too, and that efforts to rank these forces was a big mistake, and that the real task was to uncover how structures of subordination interact, for example, for Black women. That was actually real intellectual progress. 
And it came out of activism. It came out of Black feminism that has been part of our culture, you know, for over a century. And it came out of legal constraints on the ability of Black women to actually be seen as legitimate subjects of the law. So I was a Black feminist thinking about and writing about how Black women in the law were often erased by the idea that either you are a racialized subject making arguments against institutions for discriminating against you on the basis of race, or you were a gendered subject making similar arguments against institutions for discrimination on, on the basis of gender, but you could never be both at the same time. And my experience told me otherwise. So it was clear <laughs> that the law was a structure that was doing a certain kind of harm. It was erasing the fact of our social lives. It was removing from us uh, the kinds of remedies that should otherwise have been made available to people who experience discrimination. So my sense was that the law was telling us something about the consequences of singular categorical ideas about causality, singular ideas about discrimination and exclusion. So intersectionality was really a a remedial concept. It was grounded in a Black feminist sensibility directed to the ways that law was actually reinforcing our marginalization rather than interrupting it. It started with cases around Black women, but it didn't end there. Intersectionality is now practiced and, and thought about and used all over the world, you know, from Brazil uh, to India to South Africa to France, there are all sorts of projects in which people are using this lens to better understand uh, the circumstances of people who are multiply marginalized to better transform the conditions of their lives. So the that famous Florida chart says <laughs> that intersectionality, quote, ranks people based on their race, wealth, gender, and sexual orientation. I guess they got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it never ceases to amaze me uh, how absolutely uninformed our critics can be and still command attention and from, from some, uh, even some degree of respect, or at least, well, they have a point. They have no point <laughs> because they don't care. And they pretty much said it many, many times. It doesn't really matter what intersectionality is or isn't. What matters is that we can use uh, this idea, we can use critical race theory, we can use 1619 to galvanize white grievance and encourage them to lose faith in some of the most important public institutions we have. And education is among the most important functions of society and one of the most important sites for democratic uh, experimentation. That's where we learn who we are. That's where the values of a democracy are inculcated. That is why education is such a threat to the aspirations of people 
like Ron DeSantis and others who are willing to undermine our democracy in order to win and protect power. Some of our friends are saying that this attack on critical race theory really is irrelevant because CRT is not really taught in high school, which is where the College Board AP course is taught. What do you say to those people? I say that the belief that we can handle this issue by pivoting away from what they are really trying to do uh, has been a mistake. And that mistake is what has led us to this moment when they went beyond trying to uh, demonize critical race theory to attack African-American studies as having no educational value. And uh, if folks have been following Florida, they will know that just last week, uh, legislation was introduced to eliminate gender studies, critical race theory, intersectionality, or any sub-majors that engage in those ideas. And that will not be the last thing that they will do. They said, we're going after the entire apparatus of social justice. We're going after public education. We're going after the strongholds uh, where people learn about equity and about inclusion and about democracy and about our history and about our aspirations to continuously make our country better. They want the country that we came from. And the only way they can get that is by erasing this knowledge, by attacking public education, and by making people think that their grievances rest with us, mm -hmm. as opposed to grievances resting with a society that in many ways is, is going off the rails. Since the College Board bowed to the attacks on African-American studies, uh, more than a thousand scholars in Black studies and affiliated fields have released a series of four demands in a letter to the College Board. You can find these at the uh, website of the African American Policy Forum, aapf.org. I want to just look at some of the highlights here. Of course, the first one is to restore the critical concepts and scholarship and frameworks to the AP African American Studies course. And then there's one actually I wouldn't have thought of, provide the resources to create new platforms, including online, so that students in Florida and elsewhere who have censored content in their schools can take the real uh, African-American studies course and sit for the AP exam. Let's talk about that for a minute. Yeah, so the real problem um, that the College Board is trying to sort through is the fact that there are now many states, I call them the anti-woke states or, you know, the Confederate curtain states um, that have uh, passed legislation that they are using to preclude students from learning about things like structural racism or implicit bias or uh, being exposed to contemporary movements uh, against uh, police brutality. So in those states, Florida being one, the argument is that these courses cannot be taught because they violate state law. So there are a couple of choices. One is to uh, basically gut the course of much of its contemporary content 
in order to have the courses taught there. Um, I call that the Jim Crow approach. We're talking about a billion dollar uh, organizations. Surely they can find ways of working around these local bands to give students access to this material and allow them to take these uh, tests with the full exposure to the education rather than settling for a truncated and frankly racist one. Another way to resist the efforts of states below the Mason-Dixon line to limit what students can read about, think about, and learn was a project you launched called the Freedom Readers Banned Book Clubs. Tell us about that. Well, John, you know, we were uh, aware of the fact that a lot of people were not aware that the banning of books included books that they had grown up reading, included books by Pulitzer Prize winners like you know, Toni Morrison, uh, Ta-Nehisi Coates, uh, so many other classic texts were now being banned, many because of the way that they made uh, certain students feel. Um, there's a book written by Ruby Bridges, which talks about her experience being a Black girl integrating New Orleans schools. And this is a book that has turned up on the banned books list. So we thought it was important for communities to understand, number one, that this effort to ban books is banning the stories of us. It's banning classics. It's banning new ideas. It's banning our ability to actually talk about our experience. So we thought that was important. We also knew it was important for people to understand that the states that were doing a lot of this book banning, like Florida, are also states that are trying to limit the political power uh, of racially marginalized people. The two are pretty much hand in hand. So we went on a 14-state uh, tour uh, from Minnesota to uh, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, on the Freedom Riders to Freedom Readers Unbanned Book Tour, <laughs> passing out 3,000 books, 19 titles, including the 1619 Project and Critical Race Theory as, as as well as The Hate You Give. So many of these books have been banned. And the point was for people to understand when we lose our power to influence what our education is, our voices are then going to be erased. And so that's what we've done. And we still are keeping um, the banned books clubs uh, going. We pass out books to young people, to family events. If folks want to learn more about our banned book uh, club, they can check it out on our website at www.aapf.org. And one more uh, notable effort in response to the effort to keep Black Studies books out of the uh, classrooms the publisher, The New Press, has published several of the banned books, including uh, your critical race theory reader. The New Press created something called the Teach Banned History Initiative in partnership with the Zinn Education Project. Teachers in states where book bans are in place, and this now includes Arkansas, Idaho, Iowa, New Hampshire, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, and Virginia, in addition to Florida, teachers in those states can request free copies of the forbidden books published by the New Press 
sent to their home address. The new press has reported receiving requests from hundreds of teachers in just the first week of the initiative. They say our goal is for young people to engage in intellectual inquiry, to pursue real questions about history, and to apply historical insights to contemporary issues, close quote. You can get more info about this project at thenewpress.com. Last thoughts here. You told the New York Times recently, the slide to authoritarianism is real. This is how it happens. When we allow for people like DeSantis to allow for some ideas to be suppressed, we allow for our democracy to be undermined. No one can afford not to be involved in the resistance against the banning of books, the banning of ideas, and the banning of entire fields of study. And John, people can join this fight by signing a petition that people have been uh, sharing all over the world. Uh, they can find a link to it on our website. It basically is saying we're drawing the line. Uh, in the sand here, we are not going to tolerate the marginalization, the exclusion uh, of, of Black women, of Black feminism, of intersectionality, of Black queer studies. These are tools that have come out of the history of African-Americans that are tools that we use all over the world. We're part of this tapestry and any effort to suppress ideas in one place will definitely uh, travel to other places. So if folks want to see that petition, join in, lift their voices, uh, they're welcome to do so. And that's at the African American Policy Forum, aapf.org. Kim, thank you for all your work. And thanks for talking with us today. Thank you, John. You've been listening to Start Making Sense, the weekly podcast of The Nation magazine. You can hear more interviews like this one at thenation.com, and you can subscribe to Start Making Sense at iTunes Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John Wiener. Thanks for listening. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.